This morning we began a two-part message dealing with the subject of the roles and the relationship of a local church pastor and the people. You'll remember that Paul had, was holding a staff meeting with the pastors from the church at Ephesus and um, the end of chapter 20 of the book of Acts was dealing with, uh, with that subject and it was dominated really um, with instructions to and for the pastors. But by implication, it's implied that church leadership in general can be in view. This morning we considered the subject following the leaders and really talked about um, the general um, framework of what it means to be uh, one in leadership in the local church. This evening, we, we flip the title and we consider uh, a, a subject leading the followers and um, actually some of how of that actually is done. And if you'll look at Acts chapter 20, the last few verses, picking up to verse 32, verses 32 through 38, leading the followers uh, as Paul instructs the pastors from the church at Ephesus, which I am convinced was the leading, the most dominant, the most uh, influential church in the first century. In that middle section of the first century was the uh, First Baptist Church at Ephesus. Verse 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them who are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have shown you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept much and fell on Paul's neck and, neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. A couple of key points I'd like us to consider with some sub points about what it means to lead the followers, to really be a leader uh, in the church and one who uh, distributes or disseminates the word of God. First of all, a church leader and really by more specifically a pastor in this particular um, context is one who gives out the word of God in preaching. It says in verse 27 of this very same text, Paul says, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. In other words, I have given you all of uh, uh, the word of God, the theology that uh, God has entrusted to me. I've not held back anything. I've not tried to um, uh, skirt any issues. And I am convinced that um, for four decades, the pastors of this church and for the last 12 years, myself, uh, we simply don't shy away from hot issues. We will deal with issues, uh, issues in society, issues in the church, issues in theology. Really, no matter how difficult they are, we have not been uh, fearful or, or bashful about tackling those types of things. We are a church which has long been known, really forever, our whole history has been known for holding to orthodox theology, uh, of holding to a high view of the Word of God and uh, 
the holiness of God and uh, calling God's people to follow him and, and the unbelievers to repent and turn to him. Um, we are known for that. And I'm convinced that that is uh, one of the, the, the uh, priority uh, issues in the life of a local church that you do not fail to declare all the counsel of God. And then in verse 32, Paul says, I commend you to God and the word of his grace that is able to build you up. Paul begins these concluding remarks in this staff meeting with these Ephesian elders by reminding them of their calling. He calls them, he tells them to look to God. I commend you to God. I am uh, uh, saying to you, look to God and to his word since spiritual power, since spiritual uh, growth primarily comes from prayerful Bible study, from me being very serious about the things of God, of me getting alone with God and, uh, and calling upon him and being very focused and very uh, definite in my approach to spiritual growth. This word from Paul reminds us that of what the apostles set in motion. And you'll remember in Acts chapter six, in verse four, when they called the church uh, to uh, ordain the first deacons, it says, we are going to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Paul says this very th- same thing to these Ephesian pastors, give yourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. A church leader is one who gives out the word of God. And when I say in preaching, um, we understand that that's not only, that's not restricted to pulpit time. That might be communicating or disseminating the word of God in any kind of a context, in any situation, uh, we are to be doing that. I can remember um, just a couple of weeks ago, standing underneath a tree in Haiti with uh, local, um, with the community uh, uh, women. And there were some men there and some grandparents with little infants in arms. And one of the things, uh, the very first thing that, um, that Haiti Home of Hope, Bill and Jennifer Campbell do uh, with this new ministry of the distribution of um, formula for the infants in the community, they're not our orphans. They're just uh, people out in the community who are, are struggling and whose babies are going to die in in. Uh, very likelihood. They very well could. As a matter of fact, Betsy and, uh, and Jennifer Campbell visited the hospital in Peon and came upon a crib and thought it was a, a little baby doll um, and that uh, was in the crib. A little tiny thing. And, and it was uh, very um, kind of shining and everything like a, like a little baby doll. It had been a baby that had died just a couple of hours earlier and it was still in that, um, in that crib. And so babies are dying and we have this distribution uh, program of, for milk um, for these newborns. And what they do is they assemble and the gospel is given. They're exhorted to follow the Lord. And I had the privilege of, of, of uh, talking to them about longing for the uh, pure milk of the word, just like your little one is hungry for this formula. Are you hungry for the things of God? And so it's in that, that context or it's in this context of, of disseminating, uh, distributing the word of God. Or maybe it's in your Sunday school class or with your Awana club, or maybe it's on the street or in the workplace. God's leaders are called to give out the word of God with prayerful consideration. Now we understand prayer. There's not a lot of structure to it. It's a matter of the heart. It's calling upon the Lord. It's crying out to him. Preaching on the other hand is uh, both a science and an art. As a matter of fact, there's a term that's called homiletics, which uh, deals with the science and the art of preaching. Preaching is a science 
because it has parameters, it has structure, it has rules, it has things that you need to observe. But it's also an art in how it is actually delivered. And so when I approach preaching, I approach it as a science and as an art. There, there is structure to it, there are, there are parameters to it, but there, are, there is also a creative element in how it is delivered. You'll see, even this evening, and I've moved away from it in recent weeks, many weeks, I've hardly done uh, any type of... Uh, um, uh, Alliteration um, in messages. Just wanted to to move away from that for a while. Now, my messages have been less structured and less outlined because I'm highly outlinable. Tonight, on the other hand, is exactly the opposite. Uh, a very uh, uh, structured, very outlinable message just to demonstrate um, the, uh, the art and the science of preaching. So a church leader, a pastor in this context, gives out the word of God in and through communicating the message. How does that take place? Four particular points. First of all, that church leader, that Sunday school teacher, that uh, Awana leader, um, that person who's teaching a home study, and certainly the pastor has to carefully exegete the text. You have to take the material, the biblical data, the passage, the verse, the very word, um, single word maybe uh, that, um, that you're considering in Scripture, and you are to extract from the text. The word exegesis means to lift out of the text as compared to eisegesis, which means a reading into the text. A pastor, a church leader should never be guilty of eisegesis, that is taking his own thoughts, his own um, uh, personal opinions or slants or, or whatever, and then imposing that. Of course not, certainly not. Uh, God doesn't need us to do that. Precisely the opposite. He has already given us his sure word, and so we need to lift out, we need to extract, we need to squeeze all of the truth that we can possibly glean out of what already has been given to us. The first point is a careful exegesis of the text because there's only life-changing power in what God has said, not in what the preacher can say. It's in what God has said. And folks, I'm not saying that, and, and, and that's not uh, um, pseudo-humility. I really believe I can't change your life. I cannot touch your heart. I can't even change my life. God, help me if I think that I can. I need the Lord to do that work. Amen. He must come upon me. He must move upon me and he must move upon you. And the way he will do it, the instrumentality that he will use is the power, the authority, the accuracy of his word. Therefore, I'm called to draw that out, to take that, uh, that uh, bucket and plunge deep into that well and bring out that life giving, that refreshment that we all need day by day. There isn't anything more important in the pulpit than getting the interpretation right. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly understanding and coming to that, um, to coming to grips with it. Now, does that mean that there are some pastors who know everything about all of the word of God? Have it down absolutely perfectly? Of course not. Certainly not. Are there parts of scripture that I don't understand? There certainly are. What do you do? What is a pastor to do then in that situation? Do you just simply say, well, I'm not going to do that or I'm going to make up something? Yeah, well, there might be those who do. Um, it's interesting that, uh, and I've heard um, other pastors comment the very same way, that in commentary after commentary, uh, that is uh, uh, scholars who have written on uh, Bible books or on various subjects, 
when they come to, I mean, they're, they're, there's, they're just exegeting for all they're worth. All of these verses and words and everything all the way down the line. And then when they get to a point that uh, uh, they don't understand because no one else has understood in the history of the church, um, it's almost like they pretend it's not there. And they go on to the very, at least say, folks, you who are reading this commentary, I don't have a clue. Write me, email me and tell me what this is. At least I wish they would at least say that, you know, that would at least tell me that um, there is as, uh, as weak and helpless as I am, because there are times that I'll come to that area where I don't have understanding. I'll I'll, uh, I'll give prayerful study. Um, I'll delay the message. And I've done that a number of times since pastoring here. Well, I'll come to you and we're supposed to come to this next text um, in the verse by verse. And I'll say, folks, I, I'm just I don't own this. I, I don't have this yet and I'm working on it and I'm struggling. Pray for me. Help me. Do you have some help here that you can offer? Maybe you'll consort, consult resources. Maybe you'll get help somewhere else. Uh, uh, one way that you can do a, a careful exegesis is you can list all the possibilities of what it reasonably could be and then uh, you go through and start Xing out. No, this, this would cause, uh, uh, that would violate this. And so you can, it's kind of like if you have multiple choice an, uh, uh, test, multiple choice questions. The best thing to do, uh, young people, is rule out what it can't be. And then that'll limit you to one or two. And then maybe you can start working at that. Certainly you do that in theology as well. Sometimes I come to a conclusion based upon what it can't be. But there are times that I simply say, I can't be for sure. And I don't believe, with God as my witness, I don't believe I have ever taught with confidence with assurance, with a, a flavor of assurance, anything here that I didn't own with confidence. Did you follow that? There have been times that I've said, I don't know, but I don't believe I've ever said anything dogmatically that I didn't understand dogmatically first in my own life. Believe, I believe that speaks to uh, integrity of exegesis and something the church must have. You have to lift out. You have to extract with even the limitations that we have. There is a whole lot we can know. There is an awful lot in scripture that we can clearly say, this is what this means. And that leads me right into the very next point. After you exegete, you need to clearly explain what that is talking about. And I trust that this is an example of that even tonight. Uh, the, the subject matter that we have before us is preaching. It's the role of the pastor in the church. And I am explaining to you part of that dynamic, part of that function. I know it's somewhat academic. I know it's somewhat uh, um, possibly even boring for some since this isn't your role. Well, that's the text we have before us. Um, I don't know why God wanted us to deal with this today, but he did because he put the text in front of us. We're going verse by verse through this book. You clearly explain the meaning. Now, here it is. Not what it means to me. I don't say to you, well, this is what this verse means to me. And I hope you don't say, well, this is what this verse means uh, uh, to you. Or you're explaining that. Don't go there, folks. That is a, uh, a neo-Orthodox kind of an approach. That is a, a, that's, that's a diminishing of the authority of Scripture. Say, not this is what this verse means to me. Say, this is what this verse means. If you do, in fact, know what it means. Because what it means to me, how it affects me, is not near as important as what it means to God and what he intended. Amen? You follow? You see the authority there? Where does the authority lie? It doesn't lie in the, the, in, uh, the innate, the inherent ability or... or um, uh, persuasiveness of the preacher, the authority lies in the mind of God and what he has communicated. 
here's a key thought in, in this whole art and science of preaching. One interpretation, many applications. A verse only means what it means. It doesn't just mean a variety of things. Well, it might mean this, 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 or this. Um, it's kind of like, uh, well, um, you know, somebody asked a preacher one time about the, uh, the horseman, the red horse and the black horse and the white horse and, the, and uh, the pale horse in the book of Revelation and how they're coming to brave judgment. And uh, the, um, the lady said uh, uh, to the preacher, well, I know, I understand that the horses represent uh, judgment and all, and uh, they're coming to bring judgment during the time of tribulation. But what do those colors mean? What about the red, the black and the pale? Um, what is that talking about? And the preacher says, ma'am, those are the colors of the horse. Yeah, I know, but, but, but what does it mean? It means that that's the color of the horse. You know, one's black and one's white and one's pale and one's red. It's the co- it doesn't matter what it means to me primarily. It matters what it means by what God intends. Are you all with me? Do you see the distinction? See, it's very subtle. It's just a little, it's, it's hardly, there doesn't seem to be much of a difference But if we chase that trail, that rabbit trail, all the way down of what does it mean to you? How does that touch you? Then you can come up with 150 ideas of the meaning of that verse. Where in God's mind, there's one interpretation, but many applications. Now, how it plays out in your life, how the one truth plays out in our lives may have all kinds of of variables. For instance... I know what um, I know what wives follow the leadership of your husbands means. There's one interpretation for that, but it doesn't have a lot of application for me. Are you all following me? I'm never going to be a wife of someone. It just doesn't have lots of application in my life. Whereas husbands love your wives uh, as Christ loved the church. There's one interpretation But for me, all kinds of applications that could play out in a number of ways in my life and in fact should and does. So clearly explain the meaning. Um, And when you do, uh, when you explain the meaning, think about the context of the verse. That is what's going on. What's going on in the history of the setting, the geopolitical considerations, the geography, the political uh, issues that are going on, the culture, uh, the, uh, the theology, the grammar, the, the, the sentence structure plays out a lot, especially in the New Testament. And as you do that, and as a preacher brings that to light, then uh, that story is going to take on life. It's going to become alive. For instance, if you just read Psalm 51, you would come away with the thought that, uh, well, there was a guy there and he made some wrong choices and now he wants to do better. But if you know the history that it's King David and who King David was and you understand about Bathsheba and that whole scenario and that Nathan the prophet confronted him and that his baby died uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and 13 and 14. And if you get all of that background, that adds a lot, that, that splashes all kinds of colors on the tapestry as you're painting that sermon. And so there is the need to clearly explain the meaning. So you extract from it, you get a handle on it, you really, you really own this text as a pastor, and then you explain it to um, the people. Next, you exhort. You exhort. Preaching is a function of addressing the whole. 
It's really a strange dynamic when you think about it. One man is called from among the rank and file. Just one of us. But one is called to address the whole based upon what God has revealed. And that one prepares and delivers a message with all the integrity in his heart. And God's people listen attentively. And the hearts of the listeners are at the same time comforted and convicted. Commitments are made. And then we all come back together the next time for the next round. It's a strange thing. It really is. I I don't know that um, uh, most people would sit still for uh, for any other kind of um, of dynamic like that other than in an orthodox preaching session where we give ourselves to that. And some of you have uh, given yourself to that for decades. And, you know, some of you are just looking out to um, uh, among you um, tonight. And I thought to myself, there isn't anything that I'm going to say tonight that's going to be new information to a number of you. You have heard it. You have taught it. You already own it. But just you being here, just your presence here tonight is, is such a statement of, uh, hey, we're family. We're part of the same uh, working unit. Um, uh, one is preaching. Others are receiving the preaching. There wouldn't be any preaching if somebody wasn't there to receive the preaching. And then you're taking that and sharing that with others. And so you have an important role. I had an important role and still do have an important role when I am receiving the preached Word And so uh, we are called to exhort one another to love and good works. Preaching is not one sided. You have a part. You have the part to respond. What are you going to do with truth which has been given to you? Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon was very strong on telling his people that there was there's as much responsibility in the pew as there is in the pulpit. If we're if we're being given a dose of of the word of God and we're being attentive to take our medicine, then it ought to do something in our lives. And, you know, um, we were talking today about this very thing. And Priscilla um, mentioned to me uh, just about being focused and, and, and locked in and all. And she says, Dad, you know, uh, the word listen and the word silent have exactly the same letters. Not just the same number of letters, the actually the same letters. Do, do you see that? The word listen And the word silent had the very same letters. And so I ask you, are you routinely engaged? Are you locked in? Are you, as it were, sitting right on the edge, um, taking in what God intends for you? This is not for me. This is for all of us. But there's one who's called to disseminate the word. And the way he does it is he extracts from it. He gets an understanding, he delivers the meaning, and then he exhorts that folks will, in fact, follow that. And then finally, there needs to be an inspection. There needs to be an examination that people are maturing. There's a maturation process. That is, it's just not dumped uh, on you like a stagnant pond, but that you are taking it in and then you're living it out. And is that going on? And there needs to be a, a, an understanding, an examination that people are receiving the word of God and they are growing. They're maturing uh, in the faith. And you can tell if that's going on 
by just by looking at your own life. Uh, my guess is most of you would say, uh, well, certainly I know a lot more about the will of God, the ways of God, the word of God than I did 10 years ago. Maybe for some of you, you would say, I know a lot more than I did 10 weeks ago or 10 months ago if you're a fairly new believer. There is to be a maturing process. Second Peter 3.18 says the word, it's commands us to grow in, uh, in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are to grow. How do you grow? By taking in nutrition and living out that nutrition. That's how you grow physically. You're taking in good nutrients and your body is assimilating them and you're expressing it in activity in your daily lives. And you're getting stronger, you're getting bigger, you're getting smarter and all those kinds of things. Well, spiritually, we're taking in, but we're just not sitting there. We are maturing as we live it out. And so a pastor is called to examine, to see that the church is in fact healthy and growing and the, the feeding that's going on is being received. A church leader, a pastor is to give out the word of God in preaching. Secondly, second main point I want us to consider is the uh, verses 33 through 38. And that is a church leader, a pastor is to live out the word of God in practice, in his own life. It's not it just cannot be that a pastor barks out the orders and calls the shots and says, this is the way it's to be because I said so. Nothing could be further. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. He was an example to us, First Peter says, that we should what? Follow in his steps. That had to do with suffering. And certainly it had to do with every area of life as well. And so a, um, a church leader, a pastor is to uh, lead out in uh, practicing the word of God in his life. And why lead? Why, why are we lead anywhere? Why don't we just keep the flock in one place? Well, think about an actual flock of sheep. Um, that flock of sheep might eventually exhaust the effectiveness of that pasture. That is, all of the grazing area might be used up and they need to move on. Um, maybe that um, flock needs a different kind of diet. Maybe it needs to go somewhere closer to water. Maybe there's danger in that particular pasture because there are wolves all around and the shepherd needs to lead that flock elsewhere. And so uh, they're very much, I guess what I'm saying is a, a flock is not just uh, in a, a, a permanent location. It's not forever stationary and stagnant. The shepherd leads them to green pastures. The shepherd leads them beside still waters. Uh, that, that is taken from where? From Psalm 23. That's right. You know your Bible. It's that kind of idea. The shepherd is leading them to practice the, uh, and, uh, and live out the nutrition that they have received. A shepherd never drives a flock. You drive cattle. You must lead sheep because if you try to drive sheep, they're going to scatter. They're going to become vulnerable. They're going to be caught by themselves in a vulnerable place and destroyed. A shepherd leads sheep. And in most cases, I'm sure there are times that I have fallen behind you in faith, in, um, in energy, in whatever. In most cases, uh, I'm, I'm pulling back. In most, and that's not, I'm not being self-serving. In most times, I'm pulling back. I'm, I'm holding back because if not, I, I can be... I can be impulsive. I bought a house one time without Pam knowing it. I mean, I mean, I, I bought it and moved us in. She was out of town and she comes back and she has a new you know, place to live and, and new furniture and, and all kinds of things. I can, 
be impulsive almost to the point of reckless if I'm not careful. And so there's a lot of times that I'll say, got to hold back. Church is not ready. We can't go down there. Can't do it now. Can't do it yet. Maybe can't ever do whatever it might be. Um, There's the need to lead out in a practical way. How does he go about doing it? Well, verses 33 through 35, if you'll look at the text, Paul is talking about um, ministering with his own hands, his own necessities and giving and, um, and, and all that. And he is alluding to that for one main reason. He wants to lead an exemplary life. That is, he is saying, you pastors, you church leaders, you must be an example. How can you be in a want leader? How can you be in a want director, a Sunday school teacher, a, 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 a committee chairman and not be with the program? It just simply, it's incongruous. It doesn't make any sense. How can you say one thing, thus saith the Lord, and then not come along in your practical walk and it be a reality in your life? Of course, it's, uh, it's futile. Credibility is everything in Christian leadership. And to lead an exemplary life means that others can say, I can look at you and follow that example because it is virtuous and it is valuable. It will make a difference in my life if I'll also plug those principles into my life as you have in your life. The ministry of leading God's church is first and foremost by example, because you cannot hear my words if my, because my life is screaming so loud. And parents, that's the same with you. Your kids are not going to hear what you say because your life is screaming very loud. That's why I've asked my children a, n- a number of times over the years, do you find my life to be credible? Do I live at home, out in society, wherever, like I preach Uh, On Sunday, like I say, we ought to live. I want to know. I want to make sure that it's exemplary. And how can I expect or how can they expect something unless I inspect that very same thing? I need to look. I need to see if it is genuine. And so leading by example adds credibility to the teaching. Now, notice I did not say it makes the truth truer. It doesn't make the truth any truer, but it illustrates the truth in living color. It allows folks to say, oh, that's what it means to love your wives as Christ loved the church, as I model that in my life. And you see that. It's that kind of a concept. A pastor is not going to be perfect. He is going to fail. Paul knew that was going to be the case with these Ephesian pastors. The issue, though, is what direction is his life taking? Does his life clearly have a, an angle, a direction of pursuing righteousness, that he desires the will of God in his life, that he in fact is saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey. I'm going to trust you no matter what the circumstances seem to be. Is he upholding the truthfulness of the word of God? Is he modeling Christ-likeness? I sure hope and I believe that you can look at me And you can say, I've watched him. I'm convinced that I see love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, that I can see that in his life. A leader must be exemplary or it's just simply not going to be real. God's power is not going to be a part of it. Um, Why isn't he practicing what he is preaching? And then, secondly, his leadership must be extraordinary. Look at verses 36 through 38. 
And when he, Paul, had thus spoken, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept much, fell on Paul's neck, as if saying, don't leave. We are not ready. Your leadership is so extraordinary. It is over the top. Uh, It is, uh, you, you minister with excellence. And we need you to be with us. Pastoral leadership must not be common. It must not be routine. Uh, Anyone can cross the T's and dot the I's. Anyone can do that. Anyone with a measure of training can um, prepare and deliver a a sermon or can teach uh, various biblical principles. Anyone can do that. But people who know scripture not only need to do the right things and avoid doing the wrong things, but the attitude of pastoral leadership must be there. And so when you approach your Awana club, when you approach your Sunday school class, when you approach your committee work or whatever it might be, do so with a heart that says, I'm going the extra mile. I'm taking it up a notch. I'm going to be the most faithful choir member. I'm going to be the most dedicated Awana leader or whatever your calling might be. It's his work and he is worthy of that kind of of, uh, effort from his servants. Extraordinary Leadership. Why should I be the one to lead? Why am I the one to lead here? And I've, I've, I've really been chewing on this uh, this week, certainly. Am I smarter? My kids have um, said to me before that when they were little, when they, when they weren't so smart, they said, Dad, you know everything. And of course, we understand a childlike understanding of a six-year-old or an eight-year-old in that. Is it because I'm smarter? Is it because I'm more spiritual? Is it because I have more Bible knowledge? Is it because I've walked with God longer than many of the folks at Redbridge? No, none of these are necessarily the case. I am not necessarily any smarter, any more spiritual or have any more Bible knowledge or experience. Some of you have walked with God a lot longer than I have. Then why? It's not greater intelligence, spiritual, spirituality, sensitivity or any of those kinds of things necessarily. That's not part of the package. Part of the package is the calling of God. It's the calling of God. God places upon the heart and mind, the soul, the the whole being of a pastor, the equipment necessary to do the job. And doesn't that follow? He wouldn't he wouldn't uh, call um, a a woman to uh, to be a mom and then uh, not, uh, you know, cause her to be equipped to fulfill that or or a husband uh, doing his role or whatever it might be that follows. And so uh, there is something uh, extraordinary about the calling of the pastorate, not of the individual, but of the office. It's a calling. There is an unction. There's an anointing. There is a blessing from the Lord upon the life of the one who will yield, who will surrender. Now, that's not an unconditional, unequivocal calling. <laughs> that, that man can blow it in a moment and God's hand of blessing is gone, is removed. Ichabod, the glory is departed, could certainly happen in a moment's notice with just a foolish action or reaction. But when you're leading the followers... And you're leading the followers unto the Lord. You're leading them into green pastures and beside still waters. That speaks of peace and tranquility in life. Then God blesses the one he has called and, um, and blesses those who follow that type of leadership. To the degree that Hebrews 13, 17 says, following that type of leadership, 
is profitable unto you. It's good for you. Just like we, uh, and not to be condescending, but in an analogous way, even though some of you are older, wiser, smarter, and know more Bible than I do, you understand the principle that even though you're not perfect as a parent, your children are blessed. They're protected. There's an umbrella over them as they will say, yes, dad, you know best in this situation. I've not been there. I don't have your role. God hasn't given me that position in life, but God has placed you in that position to lead me. Therefore, it's in my best interest to be perfectly pragmatic, to follow that type of leadership. It's not dictatorial. It's not overbearing. It's just simply an issue of order that God has put in place. Hope you're happy with that. I find it to be uh, best that uh, there are leaders, there are followers. God found it to be best because he prescribed it in his word. He that desires the office of a bishop desires a good work, scripture says. He calls men to fill in that position. He calls others to follow those who lead his church. Let's honor him in doing just that. Lord, I'm thankful for your word.